Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. A huge privilege to be here, but are you ready for the Word? I'm excited to jump in. The title of my message is Power in Your Desert, Power for Your Promise. Power in Your Desert, Power for Your Promise. You know, as we look through the Old Testament, we see God revealing Himself, or in a sense, pulling back the curtain, giving a glimpse into His nature, into who He is, the way He rolls, the way He operates, His attributes, His character, His integrity. As He's kind of working our way through the passages, working our way through Scripture, we find God revealing Himself in many different ways, but ultimately reveals Himself through the names of God. These names of God's were significant. They weren't simply just nicknames or ideas or, or little buddy-buddy terms that he would give himself. No, no, no. As he worked his way through Scripture, he revealed himself in different ways through the names of God. The Jewish culture and the scribes of the times understood that these names weren't just uh, any type of name. They weren't like me. I'm self-proclaimed, giving myself a nickname as the Bone Crusher, as a semi-professional rapper. I know I'm a white boy, um, but I have a rap career on the side. And um, it's not like this kind of name. It's not like different nicknames are given. No, no, no. The scribes of the time understood that these names, they had so much reverence, so much holiness around this name, the sacredness of their name, that they understood whenever they wrote down any of the names of God, they would never erase them. They would never erase them because they understood the weight of the name of God. Why did they think that? Well, they knew that the name of God wasn't, like I said, simply a nickname, but rather the names of God would reveal the nature of God. So they understood that as they understood his name, they would actually understood the God that they serve. It would actually reveal not just what he does, his functions, the way he operates, but rather who he is, his attributes, his nature, the very nature of who he is. The reason why this is important is because the more we understand the names of God and the nature of God, the more we understand the King. And when we understand the King, we know how to establish His kingdom. Because as God, so goes the King, so goes the kingdom. And we can understand who He is, how He operates. Then we can start to begin as His church, as His people, establish the ways and the nature of God wherever we go, whether it be in our marriage, in our kids' life. Raising supernatural homes in our families, in our businesses, wherever we go, we can establish the kingdom of God, understanding that so goes the king, so goes the kingdom. But there's one important name that I want to kind of zone in on, sniper shot, if you will, this morning. Just one name that I want to zone in on. It's this name that for the first time in all of scripture, as he's revealing himself, we see this name revealed for the first time in Exodus 15. This name for the first time is revealed as Jehovah Rapha. Or the Lord who heals. I am the Lord who heals. So he's revealing for the first time in Exodus 15 that not just healing is something he does, but it's who he is. Up until this time, the Israelites, God's people, didn't know God as that God. They didn't know this was part of his nature. They didn't know this was one of his names. But for the first time, we see in Scripture him revealing himself as not just healing is something he does occasionally depending on the snow. No, no, no. Healing is a part of who he is. It's a part of his very nature. He can't help himself but bring restoration and reconciliation and healing to the world around it. We see in Exodus 15, a bit of a snapshot in context of the scripture is we see they've just crossed over the Red Sea. Moses had led them out of captivity. They've just gone three days into their journey into the desert. The Red Sea is part of, they've crossed over there three days in. The water's closed behind. They cut them off from their oppressors in captivity. They're now living in freedom, set free from the bondage of what they've been held in. They're three days into this journey. 
And three days into walking through the desert, they started to think, man, we need water, we need food. They started to complain a little bit. They're looking, man, how are we going to survive out here? At least, although we were in captivity, at least in Egypt we had water. Maybe we should just go back. So the grumbling and complaining starts to begin. They end up finding an oasis. They run up to the body of water. They begin to drink the body of water only to find out that the water is actually contaminated and totally bitter. And the scriptures say that as they drink the bitter water, their souls become bitter. It's as if what they were consuming affected their soul. It's as if what they were surrounding their life with affected their soul, affected their life, affected their attitude, what they were complaining about, their gratitude, their thankfulness. It started to affect their entire world. Moses, being the good leader, did start to see this whole thing play out, decided there's only one thing I can do as a man of God, as a, as a leader, as a man of faith. I'm going to do the one thing I know how when I've got a problem because the reality is sometimes in life, physical problems come our way. But the reality is when there's a spiritual problem, it needs a spiritual solution. So he responded in this moment by going to the only one he knows who could fix it, which was the Lord. He goes to God and God says to him, what you need to do is find a stick, pick it up, in faith, throw it into the water. And as that stick hits the water, the water will be healed. So he steps out in faith, throws the stick in. We see the scripture as we go through the passage. He begins to throw the stick. The water gets healed. They drink the water. And then upon drinking the water, the Lord, for the first time, it lands in Exodus 15, 26. And he lands and says, now just as the water is healed, I am the healer. I am the Lord who heals. And declares for the first time, reveals himself as the Lord who heals. I remember growing up, I was a, uh, a young lad, like I said, a church kid. Um, I was serving. I was 18 years old and um, just kind of starting to serve. And I was probably still on the theological rest of myself of understanding how healing works. What's the idea of the sovereignty of God? How can we pray for this person? They get healed. And how can we pray for them? They don't get healed. How does this work? Does God withhold in and reserves healing to some, but not for others? And is it just up to God and I just have to trust him? It's nothing to do with me. Like trying to figure out all the different questions I had around understanding how God moves, how he operates, who he is all these type ideas. And I remember for the first time, God almost invited me into this space to actually have revealed to my heart that he is Jehovah Rapha. I was at youth on a Friday night. I was serving in the youth ministry. And this young man came in. And he actually was a young man who was going kind of the junior ranks of Australia in the dance academies, things like that. And through some of the... Um, routines he was doing he actually snapped his ankle in three places he'd come into the youth ministry with a moon boot on and crutches and he was coming to the youth ministry and like I said I was still on a journey with this I wasn't necessarily like man I got faith for this I'm that guy like let's 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 do this type thing no no if anything I was kind of like I'm not too sure about how this how this whole thing works I wasn't even entirely convinced that's how God rolls this guy comes in I felt God tell me to go pray for him because God wants to heal for him and obviously I felt the, the weight of that because I, I didn't even know where I stood with it personally. It wasn't like it was a big faith moment for me. If anything, I decided in my mind, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actively avoid him the entire night, make sure I'm always in the opposite room. So at the end of the night, when I don't pray for him and God asks me about it, I can tell God I didn't see him. That was my plan. So I was starting to just like avoid him and go the different ways and all this kind of thing. But God just kept making him appear in the different rooms that I was in and I just couldn't avoid him. And next thing I'm like, all right, God's making this really obvious. So I just kind of went up to him and I said, it wasn't deeply theological. I had some great, beautiful prayer. I think I just came up to him and just said, hey, like, God wants to heal you. Um, do you mind if I pray for you? Things like that. And we, uh, we, we pray for him, um, um, placed my hand on his ankle. I think I just said, in Jesus' name, be healed. Like, I didn't say anything too eloquent. Um, and uh, I then had the audacious thought because, you know, sometimes what we like to do is like pray for someone for healing and then just walk away and say, be blessed and never actually 
follow through whether the healing took place. But I had the audacity, even in my lack of faith, to ask him then to take off the moon boot and to test it, um, which was just like, I didn't even know what was going through my mind at the time. But I, uh, so I go, hey, do you mind taking off the moon boot? And as we took off the moon boot and, 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 and we pray for it, um, I removed my hands and literally, like you got to understand, this, this was snapped in three places. It was like swollen. It was like balloon, oh, huge. It was like, like I can't, like just huge. I can't describe it any other way than the size of my biceps. Like just giant, <laughs> massive, like intimidating. Like you just, I know this whole time you've been talking to each other going, that dude is massive. Like I know it's just like that kind of deal, right? So, it's, so that's the deal. And the ankle is huge. And as I pull my hands away, all the swelling had gone down. He begins to move his ankle up and down, and he'd been totally healed in that moment. You know, he made a decision to follow Jesus. He got connected in the life group. He was praising God that night. It was incredible. But you got to understand, he wasn't a church kid. He hadn't grown up around it. He didn't even have context for God. So as he starts to move his ankle up and down, he just starts swearing like a trooper. He's like, what the beep and beeps happened to my ankle type thing. And I tell you what, I had so lack of faith, I felt like swearing. I was like, I don't know what the beeps happened to your ankle. Like I felt like, what the heck is going on in this moment? Like, I was just tripping out. Obviously, it was a powerful moment. But I uh, obviously, logistically, after that moment, you've got to understand, when someone comes to youth, they've got to move it on crutches. They're not thinking oh, I'm going to get healed tonight. I'll bring a spare shoe. So now he's walking around with one shoe for the rest of the night. And uh, the awkward part was at the end of the night, we had to explain to the parent, no, no, as a youth ministry, we, we don't steal shoes, but we do steal moon boots. That's how it works. So, so we had to have this conversation. It was a bit awkward. But I remember for me, it was the first time. It wasn't like miracles were around me. I know in a house like this and in a church like this and a family of faith like this, so often we're standing here and there's miracles around us and there's, there's things taking place and there's fruit and a part of it. And sometimes we can be on looking and seeing. And, but, but in our own world, it's like, oh man, it's a stretch of faith. I'm not sure where I sit with that. For me, this was the first time where it wasn't just happened around me, but God was actually using me. It was happening through my life, but God was actually bringing breakthrough to people's world. It was my first time where God was revealing to me that He's Jehovah Rapha, that He's the Lord who heals. And you see, all through the Old Testament, we see God pulling back the curtain time and time again through the scripture, revealing himself as Jehovah Rapha. In Psalm 147.3, it says he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. In Psalm 30 verse 2, Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. But you see in the Old Testament, it's a foreshadow. It's a glimpse. It's a pulling back the curtain. It's a revealing of God and His nature and who He is. But you've got to understand there was a transition point where it transitioned from old to new through the life of Jesus Christ. It was no longer just a foreshadow, just a glimpse, just a crack in the door of who God was. No, no, no. When Christ came, it shifted from God revealing Himself as Jehovah Rapha to Him proving that He's Jehovah Rapha. To Him actually stepping into, I am the Lord who heals. We see this in 1 Peter 2.24, that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And by His wounds, you have been healed. Luke 6.19, the whole crowd was trying to touch Him because power was coming from Him. And healing, some of them, a few of them, the ones who were desperate enough, the ones, no, no, no. He was healing them all. He was healing them all. Luke 4, verse 40, when the sun was setting, I was sharing with uh, one of your campus youth pastors, it was quite remarkable um, seeing the sunset on Western Australia sits on the water. That's quite lovely, isn't it? On the East Coast in Brisbane, it's obviously like to see that, you'd have to get up early in the morning. Um, 
and no one likes sunrises, everyone likes sunsets. So it was actually wasn't until I remember telling the, the campus youth pastor at camp, I was like, I actually had a bucket list item. Like, man, I want to I see the sunset on the water. That's one of my bucket list items. First time I saw it was in um, Hawaii on our honeymoon. It was, a, it was a great moment. And I remember as I'm telling this, like, man, bucket list item, it's a dream. Like, he literally stared at me and he's like, bro, you got to get a bigger dream. Like, if that, he's like, just move to Perth. You see it every 10 minutes. It's just like how it is. And he literally was like, and I was like, oh, okay, I just got a dream a little bit bigger, being convicted by the youth pastor, but it's fine. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. And as he laid his hands on each one of them, what did he do? He healed them. You see, this is a powerful moment in, in Scripture, because, and the key here is this moment in the laying on of hands, laying on of hands in our Pentecostal theology and understanding what we believe. It's this understanding of why do we need to lay hands to believe that something could take place? Well, the reality is, friend, is that the gospel we preach isn't simply information, it's impartation. It's actually the impartation of faith. We lay hands on the sick and believe that they're going to recover. We actually lay hands and believe demons are going to flee, that the dead is going to raise, that blind eyes are going to open, that the lame are going to walk, that we actually believe that God still moves today in signs, miracles and wonders and in His super supernatural power in this moment Jesus every hands that he lays on they were all healed from the various diseases the capstone of Christ introduced and improving himself as Jehovah Rapha is this moment where almost in the beginning of his ministry as he introduces himself his opening priest to establish who he is you got to understand the kings of the day the culture of the day and the different kingdoms the way they would operate is if one king was introducing himself to another king in another kingdom he would always put his full kingdom on display the riches the power the glory the authority full kingdom on display to show the other kingdom all the majesty of their kingdom this is what Christ is doing in this message at the very beginning as the introduction as he's introducing the kingdom of light to the kingdom of the world the kingdom of light to the world he's saying you know I'm going to put my full kingdom on display I'm going to show you all the power the authority the riches the glory that is in heaven that he's inviting us into this kingdom this is the reality of what he's doing and it says this and this is the message in Luke 4 18 and 19 he says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. From the outset, Christ wanted to establish the reason he was here, to put the full kingdom of God on display. In other words, we ain't living in the old covenant anymore, the Old Testament, we just get a glimpse, we just get an occasional moment, we just get a little bit of a water hose from heaven. No, 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 the heavens are now open because of the cross and the resurrection. We don't have to beg and try and hope God pours out His Spirit. No, no, He is able and willing to pull out His Spirit for those who hunger and thirst after Him. He'll come and meet you right where He's at. This is what the kingdom of God is doing, to put it on full display. There's a moment for you as we, as we work through the text where you're probably asking, what does this have to do if we zone it back to Exodus? What has this got to do with healing water? Because I don't know about you, but I found it fascinating. The first time God revealed himself in all of scripture as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. It wasn't simply through um, healing a disease, healing a leper, healing different various things that were going on, physical ailments, different things like that, restoring things. No, no, no. He heals water, and then off the back of that, so I'm, I'm the Lord who heals. So I went on the journey of reading scholarly thoughts on it. I feel like I've become a bit of a waterologist in my study, like figuring out how this whole, whole, whole deal works. And I'm a 
doctor in Mount Franklin now. I'm a, a bit of an expert. So, um, And what I discovered was water doesn't just simply go from, um, you know, totally clean, drinkable water to undrinkable. It's not just like a black and white symbol. No, no. Water actually goes through stages. Scientists understand. It goes through stages and levels. And scholars correlate this to understand that with a representation of the water had a representation to the soul. It's why when they drank the bitter water, their souls became bitter. It's why they understood that the water actually represented something deeper spiritually. So when the Lord healed water, he was saying, I'm the same God who healed the water. It's the same God who's going to heal you. You got to understand the first stage of water as it begins to go in this place, scientists would say, is considered to be impure. Impurity of water is that place where technically you could still drink it, but it's at that point where it's at its first state of becoming corrupted, where at the point of where a foreign substance is joined in with the mixture. Maybe you've invited certain things into your world and foreign substance, things not of God, things not of His kingdom, things of not of God, you've invited into your thought life, into your world, into your marriage, into your relationship, and this foreign mixture is beginning to make your soul impure. The representation of this is destruction, and destructive and adulterated thoughts, relationships, and choices. The other phase deeper than this, though, is when it moves into contaminate. This spiritually represents for us a transition from simply thoughts to poisoning actions, polluting patterns and behaviors. In other words, it transfers from just thoughts of impurity to now it's actually beginning to affect our very life. But the deepest place they say water goes is when it gets corrupted. This is the point they would consider to be unredeemable. We can't buy like a good filtration system that's going to fix it. This is totally unredeemable. It's totally un- unsavable and it's uh, totally corrupted. Spiritually, this represents for someone who's gone to the place in their soul and their heart where someone's complete, they completely change from their original design to the point of being rendered debased and unrecognizable. You know, for me, I, I get challenged that Christ and God would reveal to his people only three days into the journey, into the desert, as Jehovah Rapha. He didn't do it two years in, three years in. He didn't do it before this or after this. No, he did it three days in. And I believe this. This is why. It's because right at the outset of their journey, as they stepped into the desert, God wanted to establish something from the outset. Is that the Jehovah Rapha, the same power that's going to get you through the desert, is the same power that's going to get you to your promise. The same power that's going to break that mindset off you is the same power that's going to restore your marriage. The same power that's going to call that prodigal son home is the same power that's going to see your university campus totally transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same power that gets you through your desert is the same power that's going to lead you to your promise. This is the gospel. This is the message of Jehovah Rapha that he's trying to share. You know, there was a little girl, if the, if the team could come, there was a little girl um, at this, uh, this conference I was speaking at uh, in North Queensland. And um, we, uh, it was kind of the last night, it was much like youth camp the last couple of days, just seeing God do amazing things and miracles and um, people being set free and liberated. And God just doing amazing things over the last couple of, couple of days at, at Nations Youth Camp. And um, it was much like one of these environments where it was just like one of those beautiful environments where there's just like bodies everywhere and it looks like a war zone and the modesty cloths are out and all the Pentecostals love it. And it's just like all the, all the stuff, right? It's just all the fun stuff. But um, it was one of those nights, fun night of conference, one of those nights, God's just moving and I'm praying for someone kind of over here and kind of catch eyes with this, this young girl. She's at the back of the auditorium. Catch eyes with me. As soon as she catches eyes with me, runs out of the room. 
And obviously, um, I'd grown up at 15, many girls ran away from me, so it wasn't an abnormal occurrence, I kind of just thought nothing of it. Only for about 20 minutes later, we're obviously still ministering and praying for people, about 20 minutes later, she kind of reappears in the auditorium and kind of like calls me over. I grab a leader and my friend and we head on over just to make sure she's okay. I, didn't, I had no context what she wanted. I thought maybe she was asking where the bathroom was or I wasn't sure. Um, but uh, she ends up starting to tell me and, um, that, you know, for, for the new people in the room, maybe you've never seen it. For, for us, we've maybe been part of church life and seen different things that God does in environments. Sometimes we encounter the presence of God. It actually overwhelms us and we yield to the Spirit. And sometimes people fall over and it's not dramatic or weird or scary. It's just this beautiful moment where God's just overwhelming them and carrying them in a peaceful, wonderful way. And sometimes they fall over and this little girl had seen that. And as she saw it and they looked kind of in a state of unconsciousness, it triggered in her this trauma that the last time that she was unconscious, her dad was actually beating her. And she was living in this place of growing up with abuse and heartbreak and just been journeying through stuff that I'd wish upon no one. And yeah, it was, it, was, it was heartbreaking to hear. But she said, you know what? I ran out of the room because of what triggered in me. But there was something in my heart that told me to come back. Because I, I don't want that. I don't want to fall over. I don't want all that weird stuff. It's, too, it's too, too traumatic to me. If there's freedom that you're preaching about, then I want it. She came back and she said, I don't want to fall over. Don't touch me. Just pray for me type thing. So she like leans against the wall. Like she's that like, don't touch me. And the beautiful part is like, it's all good. You don't have to fall over. We're just going to trust God in this moment. Because the reality is, friend, you could fall over under the power of God, but you could also encounter God sitting down, standing up on the bus in your university, at home with your family, when you're just driving in the car. Like friends of God's wherever a hungry person is and you can meet him right where you're at. So it wasn't like, oh no, unless she falls over, God's not moving. Like it wasn't like that. It was just like trusting God in the moment. You know, we, we, we prayed for her and you got to say, her body language was just like bent over, curled up, eyes were black, like just like not a good spot. You could tell, you could tell the trauma was physically affecting her physical being. It was physically affecting her. As we prayed for her, praise God, and glorious fell and encountered her, and she had this incredible encounter. As she kind of came out of the encounter, she described and felt, and she saw that several demons just left her mind and fleed her, and she got totally set free. It was a powerful moment. But what was crazy for me was 24 hours later, I feel like God orchestrated this to show me something. He wanted to teach me something. It's 24 hours later, we're at the airport. We're not really near where the conference venue was. So there was no real reason for me to bump into her. I wasn't really near her or anything like that. We're over at the airport getting coffee, then going to the airport. And I was with my friend and um, we're at this coffee shop. And there's this little girl comes around the corner, scootering. She comes scootering around the corner. And as I see her, she comes up and I point to my friend and said, oh, that's the girl we prayed for last night. And she sees us in waves and comes running over. And this was wild. And I remember having a conversation with my friend about it because it absolutely blew our mind. When I saw her standing there that day, 24 hours after that encounter, after she felt demonic oppression lift off her life and her step into the freedom, I saw a little girl. It was as if innocence had been restored in her eyes. The purity had restored. Her body language wasn't hunched. It was just standing upright. She was confident in who it was. It was as if she'd never been touched, never been abused. She'd been totally restored from the inside out. Can we give praise to Jesus for how good He is? But you know what's crazy for me? This is what God showed me. If I didn't see her 24 hours prior and I met her that day, I would just would have thought she was just a great young girl. I'm just like, whatever. I would not have thought much of it. But seeing the disparity, the comparison, I realized what God did. But you know what it showed me? And this is what it's saying in Exodus with Jehovah Rapha. 
This is why He wants to heal the water and then He represents it to He wants to heal your life. Because you gotta understand, we, we serve and believe in a Trinity God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that triune God has created you as a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. So when He says He's Jehovah Rapha, He doesn't wanna heal your body. He wants to heal your soul, your spirit, the trauma, the turmoil. He wants to transform you from the inside out, whatever you're wrestling with. Yes, He wants to heal the ankles and the back issues and the cancers and, 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 and the spiritual, uh, physical affirmities upon our life and the demonic afflictions and lift that all off our life. But He wants to go in the depth of your soul. It means you're right in that dark place where there's some stuff that you've never told anyone, that you've wrestled with, that you've walked with. He says, God, I want to heal that. Because He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.